You are listening to a Hive Talk Live stinger. Buzz Buzz. Welcome in, Hornets fans. You are listening to Hive Talk Live, a little Saturday sit-down here on AtTheHive.com. I'm Doug Branson, and this is Hornets Talk for the hardcore fan. Real quickly, though, before we get into anything basketball-related, I just want to say that our thoughts and prayers here at Hive Talk Live and at thehive.com go out uh, to all of those affected by the attacks in Paris. And that includes our own uh, Hornets forward, Nicholas Batum, another guy, Joakim Noah, for the Chicago Bulls, two guys that played last night against one another. Again, heavy minds, heavy hearts. It's amazing how those guys were able to go out and perform at such a high level with the thoughts of their family and friends in Paris. It's a pretty amazing thing to watch. And again, our thoughts and prayers go out to anyone that was affected uh, by that tragedy. Okay, there's no great way to segue from that into basketball, so I'll just say this. We have a great interview coming up with Adam Chen of BaselineBuzz.com. He's the editor of BaselineBuzz.com, and he's always a fun conversation. He's been on the show many times, good friend of the show, and he's always good for a, a random Hornets or Bobcats memory pull. He had a couple in the conversation that we had. We talk in depth about the past two games, Hornets and Bulls, Hornets and Knicks, and again, quick recap on those games. Uh, Hornets get the victory over the Knicks, 95-93. Zeller, Cody Zeller, with a great uh, last-seconds baseline out-of-bounds cut, and Spencer Hawes with a great vision to find him. He wasn't even the first option. That's the, the neat thing about that play. Nicholas Batum was the first option, and honestly, Spencer could have found Nick Batum if he wanted to, but he saw the better look uh, when Robin Lopez went after Jeremy Lin, took his eyes off man. you got to keep your eye on ball and man. He took his eye off his man, and that was all the room that Cody needed to slip in under the baseline, get the winning shot. And, of course, Chris Stops just a hair short on time, 0.1 seconds, or 0.4 seconds, I should say, when he had to take the shot just a little long on his fingertips when the backboard went red. And don't tell me these dude, Nick truthers. Don't tell me that the clock said point one when the buzzer went on. Come on. Come on. Anyway, a couple things to talk about before we get to the interview. It's a long one, so I won't take up too much time here because we go in-depth into both of those games. want to mention that the atmosphere at that New York game in Charlotte was crazy. I mean, give it up for the fans. Everyone was on their feet watching that game. It was electric. The the atmosphere in Time Warner Cable Arena for Hornets games continues to get better consistently. That's the key. It's always going to be great on a Cavs night or on a Warriors night or, you know, even against the Knicks. There were a lot of Knicks fans there. But I think just overall the experience is is getting uh, more electric and in demand it's more in demand and we have some data here from vividseats.com a secondary ticket market and it looks like the overall median price of home games is going up for the hornets it's a hot ticket to get on that secondary market the hornets ranking ninth in the nba 
overall median ticket price at $139 for the season, leading the way the Denver Nuggets, okay, at $260. Then the Golden State Warriors, Los Angeles Lakers, Brooklyn Nets, and New York Knicks, those all make sense. Denver Nuggets, I don't know where that's from. These are ticket prices as of November 13th. And then we scroll to the bottom five here, Memphis Grizzlies, Philadelphia 76ers, Bucks, Pistons, Jazz, all really cheap gets. Median ticket prices there from vividseats.com. All right, this next subject I want to tackle, it's a little bit of a sensitive one, but we're going to tackle it. I haven't been on Twitter very long. I, I run the Twitter for Hive Talk Live during the games. Uh, Producer Katie runs it during the show. Uh, And then I have my own personal Twitter, obviously, but I'm not somebody who's quick to block people. I just don't, I don't believe in it, really. I think that, and this is probably a product of the fact that we don't have a massive following, so we don't get a ton of vitriol. But even if someone were to call me a name or say that I don't, you know, or High Talk Live doesn't know what they're talking about, I'm not quick to like block because I just feel like, I don't know, Sometimes I can find middle ground with people or, or make some sense out of some things. And and certainly we're not afraid to admit we're wrong when, when, we, when we discover that we are. And I feel like just sometimes ignoring it because, you know, some guys that are, that are fired up one night can come back another night and make a great point and you learn something. So, again, not quick to block. Although last night after the Bulls game, some of the tweets that were coming down in regards to Jeremy Lin's minutes – uh, got to me, and it was very specific ones, ones that said, I'm glad the Hornets lost because some variation of they didn't play Lynn enough or they didn't play Lynn in a certain situation. And this certainly isn't reserved for just Lynn fa- fans of, of Jeremy Lynn. I think this would go for any subject that surrounds the Charlotte Hornets, whether it be, you know, you think that that Al Jefferson is getting too much run or that Kimba dribbles too much or that Nick Batum turns the ball over too much. I, I, I came to a, a crossroad or, or, or a place where I, where I decided I wanted to draw the line. If you tweet that you're glad the Hornets lost, I'm going to block you. I'm sorry. But this is Hornets talk for the hardcore fan. We established that tagline and, and it means something. It means that we're building a community here of hardcore Hornets fans. Not hardcore Al Jefferson fans, not hardcore Kimball Walker fans, not hardcore Jeremy Lin fans. Now, there's certainly a cross. You can be a, a hardcore Jeremy Lin fan and a hardcore Hornets fan at the same time. Obviously. But... Ultimately, Hive Talk Live is about the Hornets, and hard, I believe that hardcore Hornets fans want to see the team win. That's the name of the game. Not to get all Herm Edwards on you, but you play to win the game. And if you want to discuss, oh, well, you think Jeremy Lin should have played in a certain situation, and that's why you think the Hornets lost, that's one thing. Okay, we can have that discussion, and in fact, I had that discussion with Adam coming up. But if you say the Hornets, you're glad the Hornets lost, or as long as Jeremy Lin doesn't play in this certain situation, you hope the Hornets lose, and that's it. I can't have a discussion with you at that point. 
We're beyond the point of discussion. We're beyond the point of finding middle ground. I know what kind of NBA fan you are at that point. And so at that point, we're, I, I can't. I have to block. I don't want to. I don't like to. Never blocked anyone before from the Hive Talk Live. I blocked one person last night that, that tweeted that. Because that's the line in my mind. That's the line. So let's have discussions. Let's be, if, if you want to reason why Jeremy Lin not playing in a certain situation or Al Jefferson playing in a certain situation, why that caused the Hornets to lose a basketball game, then, then let's have that discussion. But these are hardcore Hornets fans that we are marketing, and we are hardcore Hornets fans, and that's what we're marketing towards. And those fans want to see the team win. So that's all I'm going to say on it. I'm sorry if that sounded like a kind of an admonition or if that sounded aggressive in any way. That's not my intention. It's just... I felt like it needed to be said early on so that they're, you know, because that, again, we're, we're establishing, I said it early on in the run of this show, like two years ago, that we're not running a popularity contest. We're, we're, we're talking about the Hornets in a way that we know isn't going to be appealing to a mass audience. And that's fine because the exclusivity of it the 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 in-depth nature of this conversation that we have is part of what makes it fun and part of what makes it i think enjoyable for the people that really come back and listen to us every week so that's it all right again we have a great discussion with adam speaking of in-depth discussion this conversation that I had with Adam Chen goes in-depth into both of these games and into several players. He has some interesting thoughts on Al Jefferson. So without further ado, let's get to that. There are some very positive signs um, to take away. I mean, last night's game, even though it was a loss against the Bulls, um, there's still some very positive things that happened. Uh, Batum had his best game of the season, uh, which and he obviously playing through an emotional time. Uh, really, really uh, showed what he's capable of. Uh, Jeremy Lamb had that stretch. I believe it was in the third quarter or the early fourth quarter where he just looked like the guy that that, that, that people thought about when he was drafted. You know, the potential was there. He he, he looked like a legit NBA uh, player. And then um, and then marvelous Marvin Williams. Um, you know, he's played great the entire week, the entire season, really. Uh, there are positives, but you know, there's a couple of negatives too that linger. And we'll we'll definitely talk about those in a minute. I want to go back real quickly though to Batum, who, as you said, had his best game of the season, his best scoring game of the season, and he really followed up. His second best game of the season was probably against the Knicks. So, are we starting to see a, a breakout from Nick Batum? I mean, certainly these two games are evidence that he can carry a scoring load which is encouraging because that was a big question mark right coming into this could he be you know a number one scorer for a team yeah I mean I think he can do that intermittently like if you if you look at his at the at his career uh you know he's at least in Portland he's always been a uh, sort of a tertiary player he's been the connect the dots guy and 
you know, over the last two games, especially, you've seen him just go into full-on uh, primary score mode. And uh, in not only primary score mode, he's actually gone into efficient primary scoring mode. He went toe-to-toe he's, with Carmelo. That was interesting he, to see. He did. He played really, played him really well, and his uh, he's been shooting over fifty percent from the floor over the past three three games. So I mean, it's and he's shooting fifty percent plus from the floor, hitting crazy, coming off of curls at the top of the three point arc threes. You know, he's doing stuff like that. It's not like he's just hitting layups and dunks. He's doing a lot of stuff with guys in his face, et cetera. Um, he's actually in the top ten in NBA already in field uh, three point field goals made as well. So that's, of course, that's something we, that the Hornets really wanted to see when they got him. But uh, I, I wasn't expecting anything like this. If he continues uh, this sort of play throughout the season, I mean, obviously he's going to be an all-star. He's going to make a tremendous amount of money <laughs> come July. Uh, From some I, I'm team. Not, I don't, I'm, well, not, I'm I, not exactly encouraged if he turns into an all-star that, that he'll be interested in coming back to Charlotte. But, you know, just for selfish one season, this season reasons – he'll need to get to that all-star level if the Hornets have a chance to go to the playoffs. Or maybe he sees it as, as a, like, this is, this is the team and this is the coach that allowed me to become this all-star, you know, and allowed me to, to, to be this type of player. So, I mean, who's to say it's a long ways away. I'm not expecting him to do this the rest of the season. I think it's unfair given his, his career to this point to expect that. But if he can do this every third game to 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 you know um, to help booster the Hornets' scoring and uh, and continue to dish out the assists and get the get the boards, I mean I'm I'm the happiest guy in the world. Well, it's so it's so interesting to look at Nick Batum's stats and then remember what we what the Hornets were getting out of Lance Stevenson last season, and it's so similar in terms of rebounds and assisting. The big difference is. Nick Batum has proven he can be a primary scorer and turnovers too. In fact, I mean, Nick Batum and Lance Stevenson probably turning the ball over at a similar rate this year to last year. And well, yet- this is—I'm I'm sorry, Doug. I, I just wanted to bring up real quick on the assist thing between. This is why numbers—you can't just go on numbers because if you watch the games and you watch the assists that Lance was getting, think about all the hot dogging that Lance would do. Mm-hmm. I'm going to dribble the ball mm-hmm. over here at somewhere near the three point line for about five or 10 seconds. <laughs> right. The whole shot clock's going to go away. It was and a- then I'm going to hot dog it to some guy in, in the paint. He may or may not receive it. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, I think Nick Batum, he doesn't do the dribbling, but he certainly has thrown some, some zingers in there that were ill advised. And he still has this, this talent for, for making a, the silliest turnover. He did it last night against Chicago in the fourth quarter in a in a crucial time, trying to, uh, you know, feed the ball into Kimba Walker of all of all guys, you know, in the post. <laughs> yeah. This is not Al Jefferson, right? This is not Cody yeah. Zeller. Uh, so, but it's it's interesting for me to see Nick Batum, who is everything that the Hornets wanted Lance to be, essentially. Oh yeah. yeah, and that by the way, that feed to to Kemba that was muscle memory. He just thought that was Damian Lillard. He could, <laughs> that, he, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Damian Lillard would have gone up and 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 muscled and and gotten that one, but uh, yeah, but yeah, it's a little it's different a situation with Kemba. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the thing I would say, I guess I was getting at with the Lance uh, 
comparison is that while everything that Batum does, even when he makes the turnovers, you can see the strategy behind it. You can see the thinking behind the pass. There's a couple of errant ones that don't make a whole lot of sense, but you can see what he's trying to do. They're, they're the quality plays. And even when he's not turning the ball over, when he's when he's making good plays, like last night, he tried to get – there was a sequence in the third quarter where he really tried to get Al going. Like he – like Al had the had – the, he got Al an entry, but it was like maybe three feet – four feet away from his, uh, his, his, uh, one of his, you know, kill spots on the floor. And then oh, the two spots. Yeah. That's Mike Dunlap <laughs> term. Um, and, and, <laughs> and, uh, and Batum basically wrestles the ball back from him, has him reposition and then, and then drops the ball off into him. And then he, then he gets a, like a, like a 14 foot jumper. It was, it was way, it was like, Oh, this, this guy's an adult. He gets it, you know. He's he's not just going to force stuff in there, you know. And he's he's orchestrating the offense. I really like that a lot. He did it on the 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 corresponding possession as well. So um, he has a strategy. I, I'll, I'll take the two or three turnovers a game as long as he's going to keep scoring at a decent clip and and getting the offense running smoothly. I'm I'm good with that. It's interesting to me. One of the early season trends that I'm seeing both out of quotes from players and then smart basketball people who are observing the the Hornets, it seems to me that Clifford is letting certain guys play their game. So Nick Batum seems freed up to do what he thinks is best in, in his basketball mind. Jeremy Lin, another guy that has been quoted as saying, you know, he, he's getting a chance to do the things that he knows he can do well. And the same with Jeremy Lamb. I feel like you know, plays are being designed to get Jeremy Lamb to the rim, and and he's been able to take shots without fear of of getting yanked. There seems to be a trust level. I mean, Jeremy Lin played uh, the, almost the entire fourth quarter last night, but there's one guy that's not really getting to play his game, and that's Al Jefferson, the cornerstone of this franchise for two years. What's going on there, Adam? Uh, he's not hitting his shots. I mean, that's that's the easiest way to put it. All those same shots that he was getting and making uh, in 13, 14, you know, two seasons ago, it's barely 18 months ago. Uh, they're just not going down. And and if Big Al, you know, he's really only had one really great game this, this season, and that Dallas. was against Dallas. Yeah. But let me ask you a little, little trivia question here, Doug. Hit me. How many, how many games – this season, we've played nine. Mm-hmm. How many games has Al Jefferson notched more than 30 minutes? Well, last night would be one. I believe he played over 30 minutes last night. Mm-hmm. Um, I know he got he got knocked out of the Atlanta and Miami game for circumstances. I know he didn't. Did he play 30 against the Knicks? No, I don't think so. I think he, he played he got, he, 20 He plus. got 30. He's got 30 exactly two other times, but he only had 31 last night. He's only played more, more than, than 30, 30, minutes. 30 minutes, one game. Wow. Right? And what happened when he was forced to play more than 30 minutes? The team got terribly out-rebounded, mm-hmm. which wasn't just an Al Jefferson thing. Wasn't just an Al Jefferson thing, but and more importantly, that paint was wide open mm-hmm. for the Bulls. 
and 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 any sort of closeout on Paul Gasol, you and I tweeted to each other last night. Well, see, and let's talk about that, okay? So I I tweeted because me and you had an actual debate on Twitter, so that's good. Um, I feel like sometimes uh, some of the leaders of the Hornets blogs we agree too much, so I like it when we disagree. Because I said, why not? Especially coming out of half, why not just try having Al Jefferson? come out further, you know, play up on Pau Gasol and some of these shots. Because, look, if the paint's going to be open anyway, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, he's not recovering quick enough to get rebounds or to to stop a drive by Derrick Rose or, or Jimmy Butler. Why not just take away what Pau gives the Bulls there if the other stuff's not going to get defended anyway? Yeah, I can't speak for Clifford, but my guess is – it's it's always good to have a a giant person there just taking up space. So, you know, even if even if um, even if he's not going to be a shot blocker, he's going to be taking up some sort of space and make and make Derek Rose at least change direction or go a different direction. So, you know, I just and, but and, but see, I think I think to me, guys like Derek Rose and Jimmy Butler, like the book has been somewhat written like we're in the 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 final stretch of the book on Al Jefferson so I think if you're Derek Rose or you're Jimmy Butler you have no qualms with with driving on Al Jefferson oh I, I mean absolutely I mean they're going to you know the biggest risk that 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 comes with driving on Al Jefferson is is he's going to put his big paw out there and swipe at it and get it okay and or he's just going to be big, and you know you're going to be called. I mean, he's not going to take a charge, you know. So, so you know you have to go a different direction. I mean, this, see, this this whole thing fell apart with Al Jefferson when Michael Kidd Gilchrist got hurt, right? Because the whole concept was he was going to provide some of the rim protection, and you know be able to cover a lot of ground um, when Al had to step out to do what you're talking about, right? And Marvin's done a little bit of that, but you can't expect Marvin Williams to be like your primary rim protection. It's crazy, right? Um, but like I said, back to the beginning of this point is that, you know, this was totally we were willing to overlook this when he was hitting consistently, you know, 53, 54 percent of the shots from down down low and getting his shots and making them go. And, you know, and, and getting 20 points or 15 to 20 points a game. This we, we were overlooking this. This has always been there. Mm-hmm. It was just really easy to look to look past it when when he was an offensive machine i mean if you go back and look at at those highlights from from two years ago the guy was he was unstoppable many many nights on that calendar like it was crazy like he torched remember that game in in los angeles where he torched Paul gasol like he destroyed him like he like they had like 39 or 40 points on the lakers i mean it was a drubbing right and then now you cut to you know what is this like i said 18 months later and the guy can barely guard an elbow jumper you know He, he can barely make uh, anything in the post. He's settling for push shots. He's not He's not doing any up and unders, really. He's getting a shot blocked a lot more. Um, it's just, it's. I, I'm sad because I really liked Al Jefferson's game. I'm old school. I like that stuff. Well, but it's just simply not working. I'm going to give you some eyeball analysis. I don't know if player tracking tracks, if there's some page that I'm missing that tracks where guys catch the ball and how far away they are when they get that initial catch. But my eyeball tells me he's catching it further away from the basket than in those previous two years. And and it, it takes him longer to get set up. And, and I think that's where some of that, you know, 
settling for the push shot comes from is that he's catching it so far away from the basket, and he knows, he knows that, you know, Miritich and other guys are coming along the baseline and, and looking double there. And I just, yeah, well, I just don't think he, he has, you, you know, you can't, I mean, pull-up shots, are, they're, they're tough. Those push shots that he tries, they're tough shots. And you can't expect them to hit a high percentage with those kind of shots. No, no, and that's a great point, Doug. I mean, that's, I mean, that's he's getting he's getting pushed further out, and I mean, that's part probably because he lost he's he's walking around at what forty plus pounds, probably lighter. You know, I mean, he was he was a legit three hundred something pounds, something last year, right? I mean, they say he he weighed in at like two ninety nine, three hundred, like that was the official um, number, but I think he looked more like he was a, he was he was big. He was a big boy. Um, Maybe, maybe I'm actually off him. I think he's like 260 now, right? It, he was 290 last year. Anyway, he, yeah. he's lost a significant amount of weight. Let's say 20 to 30 pounds. He said, That's yeah, he said 30 to 35 because he said he ballooned up in the in the off season and then you know lost lost a ton of weight. But the point yes. being, he's lost a lot of weight. He's lost a tremendous amount, of, so that's going to affect your performance, right? Because he's used to he's used to using all that weight in the post with his back to the basket to get position. Anybody who's ever you know tried to do any post up work, again, I'm a complete moron when it comes to this. Don't listen to me. But you just know that that's that plays a part. You know, you know how to use your body. You know how to use your waist. You know how to use all that your in your footwork, obviously, in that as a combination. And now all of a sudden, he's much lighter than than he's ever been um, in the past five or six years. So then you put that along with how much work do the Hornets have to do just to get him those looks? Have you seen how comp- complicated those those uh, sets of Clifford runs just to get him a look? Like they'll they'll you know, they'll, they'll start uh, strong side and then rotate out weak side on the baseline. They'll do all kinds of crazy stuff just to get him a look. And that was the and idea coming into the season was that they didn't want the offense to stagnate and, and completely revolve around. Al Jefferson possession to possession to try to eliminate some of those immediate double teams. But what what it's resulted in, whether it be because of Al's strength or just by design in the offense, he's catching the ball away from the basket. And you know what I've noticed too? Like, remember when Al Jefferson would catch the ball a little too far and he would be able to spin and and drive towards the lane or get a good drop step and get towards the get towards the lane and then to the basket. I'm not seeing that. It's like he just no. he sits there, and again, I think there's a little bit of like, is the double team coming? Is it not coming? I don't know. And then it's either a pass out or or a push shot. And there's not, for whatever reason, there's just not that desire uh, to get around a guy or to move or to get towards the basket, so he's not getting fouled. And then on the other end, the defensive rebounding is not there. I have a stat for you. I, I was looking up some rebounding numbers. So 24% of Al Jefferson's rebounds are on contested rebounding looks. So guys within you know three to five feet of him going for the rebound as well versus 75% uncontested. If you compare that to Marvin Williams, Marvin Williams is 33% contested, 67% uncontested. And then I pulled up Tim Duncan, who... Al loves to, you know, bring up when he talks about his weight loss as a guy he's model trying to model his, you know, twilight years career after. And Duncan, 37% of his rebounds come contested. And then one young guy, Carl Anthony Towns, 37% of his rebounds come contested. So these are three guys in Marvin, Cat, and Duncan who are mixing it up, you know, using their physicality, getting first contact and bringing down contested defensive rebounds. 
and Al Jefferson just isn't doing it. And, and that's yeah, a concern his, for the Hornets. His contested rebound stats have always been a little bit lower than than you would have imagined. But twenty four. But twenty four percent is yeah. That's that, that's really low. But I mean, even even a couple of years ago, it was a little bit lower than 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 you would have thought for, for a guy who averaged a double double. Um, but yeah, I, I get it. Like he's, it's, <laughs> it's not the same guy and it's really sad. I mean, it, but, and in retrospect, you have to say like Cho timed that contract perfectly. If this stays, if this is the new Al Jefferson, I mean, he timed that contract perfectly because the Hornets if, had his contract expired last year. They would have resigned him to a, a longer deal. Right. Now they they got just this one year, and he's going to be let's say he has a down year, totally fine. Then he walks, you know. And here's something I want to talk about because I was thinking about this last night. Bradford uh, Coombs, um, who uh, you know is a baseline contributor on our site, is a great Twitter follow uh, at Bradford NBA. Um, tweeted afterwards that he he thinks that show should kick the tires on a uh, an Andrew Bogut or a uh, Joakim Noah trade. And I was thinking, he, he later clarified, so that was like a, an, uh, you know, something to, to do, like maybe at the end of the season or something like that, or or off season. But mm-hmm. I was thinking, can you even trade Big Al? I mean, there's two reasons why you can't trade Big Al. I think one reason is like he he's such a specific fit. I don't really know who would want Big Al on the team, and you know how they would integrate him. A, and obviously he's he's having a, a less than great season. And then number two. You know, Big Al took a chance with with the Bobcats at the time, right? He took a chance and signed a contract, a three year contract with a team that had really no no culture of winning to or or culture of of quality hoops acumen to speak of, and to to send the uh, you know the message to free agents and and the and and the league that like you're gonna have a guy take a chance like that and then trade him at the last year of his contract. I, again, I don't know all the idiosyncrasies of, of, you know, how agents see this stuff, et cetera, but you got to think that's something that, that you have to consider, um, you know, especially for a guy with a no trade clause, you know, without a no trade clause, like Al, um, it's like, was, was that understood that we wouldn't trade you um, during this, during this contract? I mean, what do you, what you, what do you feel about that? Uh, Doug. I think you're dead on in that it would be tough to trade him midseason because he is such a specific fit. Like he, you have to design. He's not a guy that you can bring off the bench very successfully, and it, it, he's a guy that you have to design a team around, design an offense around, design a defense around some of his liabilities. So that that would be tough to do it mid-season um but it is an expiring deal so if a team and and the other well actually the other point that we forgot is that a lot of teams are going to have cap room Mm -hmm. so there's not going to be many teams that are looking to unload money as there would be in a normal you know off-season yeah well that's why the bogut deal is interesting because okay the warriors are in the tax and they're going to be way in the tax next year if if they give Barnes yeah, money. Yeah, look, if but, you're the Warriors, don't you can't mess with something that's no, not no. broken. There's not there's they're not they're not in the cost cutting stage. It's in, in, and they'll they'll use Bogut once the playoffs uh, get here. So, um, but the one thing the one deal that does make a little bit of sense. I don't know what it would take 
for like a three teamer. But like, let's say, let's say you could, you could get a three teamer with say Chicago sending Noah to, to Charlotte. Um, you then send big Al, Okay. To the Sixers. Okay. For some sort of, you know, a couple of first, uh, second round picks or something like that. I don't know. They have plenty. And they have, and yeah, they have a plenty A, and they have a ton of open cap room. I think their cap space is something like they have like twenty. They're like fifteen or twenty million dollars below the cap line now. So you could just put out into their cap space, right? And then maybe send something back to Chicago because uh, they're over the tax too, or they're near the tax, if not over already just to kind of even the deal out. So what I was thinking is like, at least the Sixers could say, well, Al would, would be a nice mentor to Okafor. You know, like, like those two are the, the most similar players. You know, like you could say, okay, Okafor is going to start Al just for the rest of the season, just mentor and just be, be a, a guy there for, for Jaleel, right? And, but the thing is, man, Al would have to agree to that. And, I mean, can you imagine a more miserable scenario if you sent a guy who is on a, a potential playoff team to the Sixers, especially a veteran like that, a guy who was all NBA just just uh, a couple of seasons ago? I mean, that that would be a tough spell. But that deal, I think, could work. It would be unless Al sees it as a better alternative. And, you know, if Al's playing 20 minutes and not playing in the fourth quarter – which we've seen a couple of times this season already, and I think that's something that has to frustrate someone like Big Al who sees himself as a you know starting caliber contributor and someone who needs to showcase his talents for the coming off season. Then maybe you know a starting spot on a bad team with another up and coming big would be, that to me that would be a great way you know to showcase talent. Now you know if it's not a great way to compile wins. You know, if that's something you're concerned about, and that may be something that Al, you know, maybe Al wants to be, you know, on a playoff team. But again, it's one, it's it's half a season or more than half a season, and then you're you have the option to leave. So uh, that is one deal. And now, now that you laid it all out for me, there are things that that make a lot of sense there. So of course, it probably won't get done. <laughs> and, and I don't know. I well, don't know. I don't know if the Hornets. I mean, I I see Steve Clifford. I, I feel like Clifford wants to make this work. Yeah. And, and, you know, because he's seen the potential and he knows the benefit of having a big who can come down with with 20 and 10 on a night when Batum or Lamb aren't firing on all all cylinders. It, it's important to have that. And it got the Hornets a victory already against Dallas. But. Then there's this concern, and you can see a little bit of the exasperation of having one of your starters and not being able to play him in the fourth quarter. And you know what, Doug? We're, there's the chances are really high. I mean, super high that we're just way overreacting. Like he's just having a bad month because he's only five games removed from having a monster stat line. I mean, like that. If you watch that Dallas game, and and. I mean, he's, he was 15 for 18. He had, he had 31 points in 27 minutes. Okay. <laughs> I mean, like he was a monster in that game. Right. I mean, it's just the, 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 the really the past week, especially that's that has made him look bad. Um, 
but if he, I mean, maybe he's I don't know. We don't know what's going on, in, you know, internally, if there's something going on with like, his health or whatever, or just like you said, the quality of the looks. Maybe they can scheme something to get him in a little bit closer on some of those things and go back to the tape, you know, at Dallas. I mean, I hope that we're overreacting because I don't want, you know, in an ideal world, Al Jefferson's a big part of the team. Well, it's tough. It's tough when you're on a road stretch as well to really glean. You know, when they come back, I think it's going to be big these next nine games. I believe seven of them are at home. You know, you have time to get in your own gym. You have some more time to, you know, get into some deeper things and, and try some things out. So I think this coming week and next week will be will be big for for how we view Al Jefferson going into the future. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's some um, looking at the schedule. There's some uh, you got you got Portland on Sunday, of course, and then they've got uh, which is going to be interesting because they've got you know, Plumley obviously is going to play uh, you know at center, but so is uh, Leonard. And as soon as Leonard's out there, you know Al's not going to be at the three point line um, guarding him, so that'll be interesting. And they may he actually may match him up against Vonley or Ed Davis. And then you got the Knicks again, which he struggled you know, uh, against earlier in the week. Then they got the Nets that hopefully will be a gimme. And then the Sixers, you know, Doug, I didn't realize they're playing the next Nets and Sixers <laughs> as two of their games this coming week. That makes me Ooh. happy. That yeah, no, happy. the next stretch is much easier. And, and I think that's important to know because the Hornets right now standing at four and five mm-hmm. and, and they played a much tougher stretch than they did last season. And, you know, I think it's a testament to, Again, bringing in modern NBA offensive weapons because the three-point shooting against Chicago is the only reason that wasn't a double-digit loss. Yeah, it's true. So you know, it, it, there's a variety of ways that, and that to me, that's that's one of the the bringers of tension, if you will, on this team right now is that there are a variety of ways to win, and yet you want to get five guys a steady amount of playing time. And if you're Clifford, you're always talking about, you know, I want to get nine guys. They they need to know when they're going to play. They need to know how long they're going to play to be successful. And yet you have a variety of ways to tinker. And, you know, Brad Stevens in Boston sort of has the opposite mentality of, you know, I have all these toys, and I may play with some of them one night and play with others the other night, and that's just how it is. So we're seeing a a little bit of a philosophical, you know, a little bit of a philosophical war happening, I think, in the NBA between the traditional rotation versus scheming night to night. True. I mean, and last night, Stevens Gamble paid off because Kelly Olenek looked like some sort of a uh... Second coming of Larry Bird. I don't know if you saw that game or not, but Olenek was just a, a monster. <laughs> he was he was a savage beast against the uh, the Hawks. Um, and and sports is really sports. Drives. This is a sports overall topic here, but sports is really or professional sports is really on a spectrum because you have the NFL. What is it? The model of consistency. I mean, you play guys. You play. You know, you play your best eleven on offense and your best eleven on defense, and you go for it. And then I feel like baseball is very, oh, we're going to play this guy this night because he does this, or we're going to switch the lineup here because this guy does this better against this left-handed pitcher and et cetera, et cetera, down the line. 
And then you have basketball sort of stuck in in a little bit of the middle here. And I think that's where, so we've had this, you know, threes and freeze versus big man game. It seems that war is over. And now I feel like this is the next frontier of basketball evolution. Well, you know, people were high on Stevens. I think a lot of that has to do with that, that, that reasoning. He's, he is open to, to changing the rules and seeing how, you know, how he can utilize the matchups to his advantage on any given night. And, and, you know, some, in some ways he has to do that given his roster in Boston, there's not a lot of superstar or even all-star power on that roster. So, you know, he's kind of, he's, he's doing what, what, the most of what he has, you know, whereas Clifford also doing the same thing, but just a more traditional approach. I think Clifford's doing it. I mean, Clifford's strategy, they're four and five. They had one of the most difficult schedules in the NBA to open the season. I'm not worried about Clifford at all. I think he's awesome. I hope he gets extended. I'm a fan. Right. And I'm I'm really excited to see what his system and his team can do. And this is a question for you guys. (laughs) How many times have you watched this team so far this season and been like, imagine if MKG were healthy. Oh, of course. Every game. Because <laughs> he would be perfect. Every, he would be perfect. No, every time someone slashes to the rim for an easy bucket for the opposing team, I think, yeah, MKG probably could have affected that in some way. Just shutting guys down. Just just, just like those three or four key stops, you know, over above and beyond, you know, stops that, that wouldn't have happened. You know, and that those, those are just tone setters. Those, those, those change the, the momentum of the game. You know, that's what, and those are the little things people who look at MKG stat line are like, yeah, he's, he's thinks, you know, he, he's, he only averages this many points. And, but man, when he can do those little things and get those key, re- just fight for those key rebounds that and, nobody else is getting right now. And start fast breaks and more importantly, finish fast breaks because, and you probably saw it on Twitter. One of my pet peeves this season is, is Kimba Walker looking for fouls on these fast breaks, trying to initiate some contact and not concerning himself with actually making the bucket. And the refs have resoundingly, you know, told him through not calling that they're not going to, they're not going to call that kind of stuff. So, you know, I think you see MKG taking more of a, a leadership role on the break and finishing those looks as opposed to looking for the foul. And on the opposite side, you know, uh, destroying uh, fast break attempts and transition with blocks. You know, I mean, he was he's so good at that. And uh, yeah, I watched the I watched his games, and I'm like, man, I think this team is at least six and four. I'm sorry, uh, uh, six and and three um, with MKG in this lineup. I mean, like he is he is that important. And it's sad because I mean, like this is the year, right? This is the year. I know we'll likely see it next year. Fingers crossed that they they resign Batum, but. Um, but, you know, the, he's he is the perfect fit. And that that wing trio of he and uh, and Lamb and and Batum is just so exciting, um, you know, for the Hornets going forward. If they can they can bring Batum back, obviously. And the big um, and, and, and here's another thing to talk about. Look, they just extended Lamb and the big concern with putting Lamb in this starting lineup is too many guys that need the basketball. And then you have Al Jefferson on the last year of his deal. So I think, you know, the future for Lamb is, is a starting position. Would he you looks look? really good. Yeah, I mean, I mean if he, and look, if he, he continues this, then then I think I, I think you see it, you know, later this season or, or next season once Al, once the decision is made on Al Jefferson. We've never had a guy who can hit floaters 
with such ease as Jeremy Lamb. Like he'll go in and, and he'll launch these these uh, right-handed floaters, and I'm like, what is he doing? They're like, imagine if Spencer Hawes could actually hit some of the shots that he tries. You know, that's what Jeremy Lamb's floaters look like. They're like, oh, man, no, oh he's going to hit that, isn't he? Well, the, br- know? the brilliant thing is that you can design late-game looks for so many different guys on this team. And we saw it uh, in Chicago when you you had Batum as a decoy, Lamb in the corner, and Kimba drawing the defense to the right side. Lamb was positioned in the left corner. Kimba drives around his man, draws Joakim Noah down to stop the easy two. Kimba kicks it out. Now Lamb misses the corner three. But again, that's a... It was a good play. It was a great it was a, play. Yeah. And, it's, and it only happens... Because you have Lamb, Batum, Kemba, Marvin, all guys that have proven they can knock down threes on the court at the same time. Yeah, and those those are two guys I want to I want to talk about before we wrap it up today. Is is well, is Marvin, and then I want to talk about Len as well. Um, but uh, go ahead. Yeah, I mean Marvin. Yeah, what, I, so well, okay. So Marvin Williams, if you you know he's doing he's doing a, a little bit of an MKG facsimile on defense. Um, you've seen it with it with the blocks and you've seen it with the the tough rebounds. He gets He's, low and wide. It's amazing to watch him when he really focuses in on on guarding a guy one-on-one. He did it against Melo in New York. I mean, he gets as low as he can get and, and gets wide and, you know, does everything he can to keep a guy in front of him. He's had he's had six blocks in the last 3 games. Okay? Marvin Williams. <laughs> I, mean, I repeat. Mar- Marvin yeah. Williams. He's shooting Okay, take the first two games out of the, you know, no, actually keep the first two games. For the whole season, he's shooting 40, 42.5% from the three-point line. And he's taken a bunch of them. He's taken, he's taking like four game. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> over four game, I should say. Okay, I, you, we not, you and I talked about this before the season. I thought Marvin was just going to be like, you know, just like a guy. You know, like someone gets hurt, he's in the rotation. I had no idea he still had this in him, you know? I mean, Marvin Williams should give Al Jefferson uh, a little bit of confidence. Like, oh, no, you can't turn it around, you know? Yeah. Because he looks – I mean, he is – not only has he, you know, shot efficiently and played and played, uh, you know, and blocked shots and rebounded. I mean, tough rebounds too. Like, talk about, like you said, contested rebounds. I mean, but that guy plays so hard. Like, he does things that he – you don't have to do. You know, like like you know, wrestle for loose balls, like you know, jump in front of dudes, drawing charges. I mean, he's like he's doing things that MKG has done in the past. Well, he's I'm not just, he's I'm not so... quiet anymore. That's that was the no. big knock on him last season was that yes, he was our leading three point shooter, but he would go games and you would afterwards you'd go wait Marvin Williams played oh mm-hmm. not that that's not been the case early this season. I, I just can't say enough about Marvin Williams. I, I mean, I, I really, I, I, I was like, listen, he smells it? nice. He gives great gifts. He's an excellent <laughs> tipper in restaurants. Um, he, he does this thing with his smile that, that really makes you feel like everything's going to be okay. Oh, well, you know, <laughs> that, that, that <laughs> you know, I always like hearing that about, about, uh, the local players, yeah. you know, especially yeah. Carolina players, you know, <laughs> Carolina Tar Heels. All uh, right. He's, uh, uh, unlike Adam Morrison, who doesn't take showers and doesn't care what people think about him. Um, by the way, did you, did you and David discuss that thing about how Metaworld Peace said that Adam Morrison could have been like an all-star 
because he was he was demolishing guys in practice with the Lakers. Did you guys ever discuss that? No. Well, let's no, let's save it because that's a good one. I want to save that for a segment on a Tuesday show. Okay, that's a good teaser, though. Stay tuned. Maybe next Tuesday. Okay, cool. Um, But let's talk about Jeremy Lin, please, because there were some fans that were upset about his playing time uh, against the Bulls, logged less than seventeen minutes, which seemed to be a real linchpin for fans that seventeen minute mark. What have you seen out of him in the past week? And where do you see, with Lamb's emergence, where do you see Lynn's fit with the Hornets moving forward? Well, I mean, Lynn should be playing as much point guard as possible. And I know that, you know, Clifford wants to get Kemba going. So he's playing Kemba big minutes. And when Kemba plays big minutes, Lynn has to play shooting guard. That's not his ideal spot on the floor. And his fans will let you know that, you know, on Twitter. it, it's true. I mean, ideally, Lynn is leading the second unit as the point. He's really he's a really strong uh, driver to the hoop. He, he seems under control mostly on his drives. Uh, if you look at his uh, at his finishing stats, uh, Doug, you might have those in front of you. I don't, I don't have the points in the paint stuff here, but his he okay. can finish way, way higher than at, at a much higher percentage than Kemba Walker. As that's just the eye test, but I, I looked at the stats recently and they they back him up. Um, Decent three-point shooter on certain nights, um, has struggled, um, you know, on some nights as well. His issue, of course, is turnovers, and if you turn the ball over, you're not going to get minutes in Clifford's system. Uh, He's done better recently over the past week than he did um, the the week prior. Uh, He had four turnovers against Dallas, which is a big no-no. And he had a couple against New York uh, in just a few minutes. You know, he's – like I tweeted this last night about about – Lynn, it's like, what, what do you want Clifford to do? Do you, do you want him to pull Kemba Walker out of the starting lineup? They would say okay. yes. <laughs> okay. Well, let's, let's, well, not, let's not all of them. I, not all Jeremy Lynn fans would say that. No. There are some, no, there's, 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 a, there's, there's a subset that would say, yes, pull Kemba Walker right now. They're, and I get it. They're loyal fans. That's great. You know, Jeremy Lynn's got a great story and, and I'm a fan as well. Um, but if you if you're if you're Steve Clifford, you you pull Kemba Walker out of the starting lineup in like say the first month of the season, right? And then you have Jeremy Lin as your starting point guard. He's my guy. Okay, well that's a bit of a you know that's a culture shock because Kemba's you know he's a name guy. He's on the you know he's his his image is plastered on the buses and on the signage and on the advertisements and all of a sudden oh he comes off the bench now you know, and he'll still get his 28 minutes a night whatever. But Jalen's my starter. Okay, well what if Jalen struggles? Okay, you know, what if two months in Jalen's turning the ball over and he has some he has some down shooting games and he can't keep up the, you know, the the three point percentage or whatever. Okay, well, then now I got to go back to Kemba. You know, yeah, you can't have that oscillation within the team. That's a recipe. What what good teams do that? What good teams do that? And, yeah. and and Kimba hasn't been certainly his scoring has been down, but he was no bum against Chicago. He finished with seven assists and nine rebounds. I mean the the thing the things that he did, you know I I get on him about finishing layups, but I mean that that's a small gripe when you consider the overall effect that he had on that game. Again, again, you take that last play against Chicago. That play happens. Because Kimba is able to get by his guy, draw the defense, and and make a great pass to Lamb in the corner. 
Yeah, yeah. I and really listen again. This goes. It's the same thing with Big Al. All this discussion of Kemba being a bum would go away if he would just hit his shots. He's shooting thirty-eight percent from the floor again. You know, a sub forty percent over the past. He's had an abysmal past week. He's only made eleven shots from the floor in three games this week. Right on. I'm looking doing the math right here. In forty-one attempts, he made eleven. <laughs> he made eleven shots. In That's 41 tough. Attempts. I mean, it's that's atrocious. And, you know, I've, I've been writing about this for a couple of years now. There are times when Kemba shoots you out of a game. He makes 40 percent of those shots, just 40. And they win all those games or they they, you know, they win the one in Chicago for sure. Uh, he gets um, to the yeah, he gets to the line against Chicago. And I think the Hornets can pull that out because he only shot. He only got one trip to the free throw line in, in 18 shots. And no. I, I really feel like if he if he works more towards the bat and credit you know credit Chicago they have one of the top you know two or three defenses in the league they they finally gotten their defensive issues figured out and so they did a good job of containing the drive this time as opposed to the 130 point output the Hornets put out at home but you know you gotta you gotta get things going towards the basket if this team's going to be successful and, and like you said the rest you said you said earlier this the rest aren't bailing him out because like they years past they bail him out and remember, remember when John wall would like basically uh publicly say Kimba Walker doesn't doesn't get fouled he just screams you know <laughs> and like and quietly like Charlotte fans were like yeah, yeah you're kind of right I mean you know, but the refs aren't calling for it anymore. I, but so, here's the know, thing. I get it. Like when I watch him and I gripe about the looking for contact, I, I sort of get it because of his stature. And, and, you know, he has shorter arms. He's obviously short of height. So if he's going to get fouled, it's going to be because he, you know, found the contact. It's not like Batum or MKG with those spider arms that they throw mm-hmm. up there and, and you have to hit the arm. Like you have no choice, but to hit the arm. So well, it's I get the same, it. It's the same dynamic though. Same dynamic with Cody. Everyone's like saying, how come Cody doesn't get the calls? How come Cody's always, the he's got short arms. You know? Well, he's got short arms and he's, and he's, and he's thin. I mean, like if the, if the refs, if, if a smaller guy is going to get beat up just because he's smaller than the guy, that, you know, on a nightly basis than the guy who's guarding him, then the refs, what do they do? Call every time that go guy goes down. I mean, can if if Cody crumples, you know, <laughs> you know, like uh, then he gets a foul called. Well, no, it's the other. No, it's it's the other. It's always the other way around. It's always the big guy will get the calls because a smaller guy chipped him. I mean, you look at yeah. Tyler Hansborough. He's a perfect example. In college, he got every call because he was much bigger than most guys on any given night, and he goes to the NBA doesn't get to the line as frequently. Yeah. It's a size well, it's, thing. Yeah, it's the issue. I mean, you know, the one guy who pulls it off is is Isaiah Thomas. And and you know, you watch how he plays. He's a well, he's a much better shooter. You know, that's you know, really that's the thing. If you if you just make Kemba a much better shooter, again, we stop talking about him. But he just can't be you can't have a guy out there work on that one of your primary Coach options. Clifford, work on that. Make him well, a walker. Yeah. Or that that, that dude kidding. is supposed to be working supposedly working with Michael Kidd Gilchrist, that old guy, Bruce Kritchner or whatever that guy is, you know, that guy that you get off my lawn yeah. uh mm-hmm. shooting coach. Mm-hmm. Like get him get him to work with Kemba. I don't know I don't know. I mean I'm just throwing stuff out. And there, I feel but, like you know. Kemba did he, Kemba worked on his three point shooting and, and I think that has 
been a benefit. I, I feel like he's a better three-point shooter so far early this season than he was well, The numbers last don't season. bear that out. The numbers don't bear. He's still shooting 31% from three. I mean, like, you, you got you to bring that up to 33, 34. Well, you know? it looks better. The least. shot looks better. Yeah, the shot looks The shot better. looks better. He passes a lot of them up, though. That's that's the issue. He, I mean, he Kemp, again, if he can, and I know this is huge. It's like saying, you know, if uh, you know Bismack Biombo can just catch the ball, but it's 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 like if Kemba could just shoot, you know, it's like if he can just get, get become a decent shooter. This conversation isn't had. All right, you know? I have the stat for you, by the way. So okay, uh, uh, Jeremy Lin is up above sixty percent, less than five feet. Mm-hmm. Kimball Walker, 47%. Yeah. And that's what the Lynn fans are looking at. They're, they're, I mean, the eye test, you know, bears it out. You know, Lynn can get into the paint and he can hit shots and he can draw fouls. I mean, Lynn gets to the free throw line. He's all, he always has, you know, and he's getting to the line now in limited minutes. I mean, um, you know, again, to further the, the previous points, it's like, well then, okay, let's say eventually Kemba shoots so bad this season and the team runs better with Lynn. Okay. Well then you make the switch and then guess what? Well, now you're in like this terrible situation from a personnel perspective and a front office perspective where, okay, well I owe Kemba Walker $12 million for the next, over the next three seasons. And Jeremy Lynn is a free agent, right? Um, you know, yeah, I don't Clifford, think. I mean, Clifford's not. Clifford doesn't care about contract situations. I don't think. I, I don't want to put. I don't want to put thoughts in his head or, or presume to know what he's thinking. But he all he seems like, and and I just take this from things that he said. He coaches the guys that he has. I think what he is concerned about again is a consistency throughout the season. You, you can't you can't pull a guy after seven games. No, no, and and, nor, and I don't, and nor nor should that. I mean, again, Kimba is doing a lot of different things. There, there are some issues finishing. There's some issues shooting, but he's doing a lot of great things outside of that. And he's a great pick and roll defender. He he is a better defender than you would imagine, given his size. He's all, he he has been historically in his time here. Um, I mean, he's still small though. He's still small, and he, you know, and and again, it's if he could shoot at a decent clip, we're not even talking about it. We're like saying, okay, of course, it's a foregone conclusion. He's well, your starting point guard. I have There's, a feeling. You don't even think about it. I have a feeling this won't be the last time we talk about Kimball Walker and Jeremy Lin <laughs> on this show. Uh, it's this has been a great talk. Uh, I just, I just want to say, Adam, it's been fun watching the Hornets so far this season. Four and five has not been that bad. It's a fun four and five. They're moving the ball. It's 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 like watching real basketball for the first time in a while. It is, and and I don't think I, I tweeted this early or before the game last night. It took the Hornets losing ten straight games to get win number five. Something tells me that's not going to happen again. I think the Hornets get win number five uh, much sooner. Again, they're they're at home a lot the next couple of weeks, and they have some easier opponents. But they can't play down to the level of their competition. They have to rebound the ball better. And now that's three straight games they haven't rebounded the ball well, Adam. And I think that's enough. I think the the message hopefully will get received and the bigs will do a much better job rebounding. Because you saw against Chicago, Jeremy Lamb and Kimba Walker 
your leading rebounders at nine apiece. That that can't happen. <laughs> you know, no, that can't happen. No, no. Co- you know, they missed Cody a lot in that game. I wish he would have played that, that game. They would have likely won had he played because um, they had to play, again, defensively without struggles and then rebounding-wise. Cody's always been a much better um contested rebounder than than al uh even in his rookie season his numbers were higher from, from a contested rebound perspective um yeah yeah if, if they get cody back on sunday they got a really good shot at getting that number five uh, against the blazers adam always good to talk to you my friend let's go hornets Man, what a talk. Again, it went longer than I think any of our Saturday sit-downs, but I couldn't find a good point where I just wanted to stop talking because the thoughts are so interesting, and it's such a fun time, I think, to be a Hornets fan because there are so many changes happening, and if you're Steve Clifford, you have a lot of tough decisions to make. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Having an abundance of weapons can sometimes be tough to... Uh, navigate, you know, especially on the offensive end, can be tough to fit pieces together that make sense. And, you know, at some point, I think it's going to come to a head. I mean, I think at some point, Clifford will have to make some very tough choices about what kind of team is going to win a majority of these basketball games. You can't make these decisions based on a close loss to the Chicago Bulls. I mean, you can't make those decisions based off a close win against the New York Knicks. You have to make these decisions based on what you see as the trend over 7, 14, 21, you know, 30 games. You have to study that. You have to make a tough call and then make a stretch run. And the thing that's encouraging about this Hornets team is that during that period where you're trying to figure things out, you have guys like Lamb and Lynn and Kemba and Marvin and Nick and Nicholas Batum. Woo! who can put together great individual performances that can carry a team to a victory on a given night against a given opponent and keep you in the running until it's time to really hit the gas and pick your rotation, pick your nine guys and, and, and make your playoff run, if you will. So I'm still, what, what I've seen early on four and five in a really tough stretch I think the Hornets have the pieces to make that playoff run. I'm more confident now than I was right after the MKG injury. But some changes will have to happen, I think, whether it be changes within individual players' mentalities or performances on the on the rebounding side, on the defensive side, or whether that means wholesale rotational changes, I don't know. But it'll be fun to watch, and it's always fun to talk here on Hive Talk Live. Thanks for listening. Thanks to our guest, Adam Chin from Baseline Buzz. We're back on Tuesday. We'll recap this game coming up on Sunday against the Portland Trailblazers. Should be fun to see some old friends. Thank you for listening. Let's swarm, Charlotte. Charlotte.